0: Hello, my name is Ivy, and you are listening to Designer Dial Designer is a place where we talk about everything web and design. Hello! <laughs> I always awkwardly start this with hello, but I don't know how else to start. Um, hi, I have recently rebranded myself to D. Um, I used to go by Ivy, which my Anton, and I decided to come out, so to speak, and use my real identity. So people can know I'm a real person So that's just a random update And then as always, we have Paolo
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> I'm here uh, Today we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, so to speak Which is a uh, massive layoffs And losing your job or becoming underemployed in this market um, I honestly, I've been affected by it and, um, have some things to share about my journey and just talk about in general like how we got here and how to get out of it. Um, I think this- the first part is just like reporting. So like I, in LinkedIn, I noticed that Coinbase just laid off a bunch of, um, their designers, which is huge for our space. Um, in addition to that, um, just all, most of the fangs have also laid off at mm-hmm. least a handful of people. Um, Amazon laid off a few, um, Google laid off a huge amount of people, and, um, who else have I seen? And I've, I've just seen, like, even my friends in the industry, like Wayfair laid off some people, Spotify laid off some people. So we're just seeing mm-hmm. huge layoffs across the board in tech. And some people are saying that, you know, the layoffs aren't necessarily necessary. They're just trying to, you know, save money um, or, you know, use the market as an excuse to save money. But I think it's kind of a double edged sword. What we saw in the beginning of the COVID was like the great reset, the great, you know, reset, so to speak. So during that time, um, the market was doing great. Companies are becoming more and more ambitious. And they wanted to attract talent in that competitive space. And so in order to attract talent, salaries got pretty high. Um, and now that the market is lower, some of these companies couldn't sustain those higher salaries. And there also are a few companies who can't afford to keep on people. But given that their stock is going down, they're kind of pressured to cut costs. I don't know. What do you think about it?
1: Yeah, um, I I think even uh, Apple is thinking about firing people, which is... Very rare for them. Quite a big deal, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, and, uh, it's not just a couple of people, it's thousands and thousands of people, right? Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: impressive to to realize that uh, when companies decide almost as a... Shane' reaction to lay off people, they decide to lay off a lot of people at the same time, which mm-hmm. is, which screws up the job market, because then the competition for people that are looking for a job gets so much higher, and um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, also for companies that, are t- for the few companies that are recruiting, it becomes even more complicated to recruit the right person, because now you have so much uh, offer, let's say, that mm-hmm. um, that uh, you don't know where to choose, right? Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if um, this comes as a reaction from the overhiring uh, of, the, of the pandemic times.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think uh, there was some overhiring because there was a huge opportunity as well because since everybody was going remote, the companies that were already more remote native, they mm-hmm. saw the opportunity to... Oh uh, now that we are truly remote and people definitely don't want to go back to the office uh, we can hire them uh, to our companies right and um, that uh, kind of uh, uh, our transition into remote work probably also made some some people some 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 talent
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: uh, face work in a different way let's say um, and so. Yeah, people were working from home They were getting good salaries Everything was booming in the tech industry Not so much in other industries But in the tech industry for sure I mean, mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember I mean,
0: commerce was pretty high too I Yeah, yeah, say. exactly
1: Amazon Because and stuff, of the pandemic,
0: yeah. people who hadn't shopped online before Or people who were kind of like Store goers like, Had to be mm-hmm. converted into online shoppers And yeah. that um, also like Penetrated the market with a lot more people like just now, just getting used to to e-commerce in a way that was kind of going there, but it definitely um boomed during yeah not uh, so prevalent. hmm
1: But but also I remember like uh, Netflix stock going through the roof because they, all of a sudden everybody was subscribing to Netflix because you know they were stuck yeah. at home. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, people were watching Z- a lot of TV. <laughs> is that, and Zoom stock as well going through the roof because uh-huh. everybody was being Zoom and so and Miro and so on so. In the digital world, there was a bit of a a bubble in the sense that Mm -hmm. uh, that was provoked by the pandemic. And so companies uh, translated that into hiring more people because that's the only way they know how to uh, scale and become better, right? Uh, At at those kind of stages. So, yeah, I mean, it is tough to be laid off, especially in the way... That has been happened for some people, right? You know, the mm-hmm. the Google case where 12,000 people were fired. People just
0: got locked out in the middle Overnight. of the day. And, like, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of brutal. That's, that's At least to accompany company all hands before you do it, like like Meta uh, did. God dang.
1: I, I mean, it's it's. <laughs> I I saw I saw a testimonial of a guy that was working on the you know on the server side of Google that uh, basically uh, he was responsible for uh, Google servers not crashing basically, and uh, he has he has been locked out of his, of his account, and he had a pager because they apparently use a pager to you know, um, warn each other that the server is down. Mm -hmm. And uh, the pager was the only way for him to communicate with his colleagues after he was let go. I mean, we are in 2023 and the level of dystopia (laughs) that we have today is that people get fired from a multi-billion dollar company. And the only way that they have to contact their colleagues is a pager device
0: yeah also i saw another brutal one where this lady she was traveling for work so she wasn't home and they cut off all her stuff and so she couldn't find money to go get back home um look you know so she had to like text her like somebody who didn't get laid off to like give her the company car so she can like go back home and i was like that's crazy too Um, So, yeah, it's just... And also, I will say, in Web3, there's this overall tightening, because, I don't know if most people know this, most of Web3 is funded by VCs, um, unless you're a DEX and you're getting money from, you know, liquidity providers. And I'm seeing a lot of layoffs in Web3, or, Mm -hmm. like, myself, I've, you know, we have made decisions to, like, extend our runway and cut our budget. Um, And so, because... Investors are becoming more conservative in this bear market. Um, Web3 companies that don't have revenue, especially, um, have to be very mindful of their resources because they don't know when they're going to be able to run to, you know, to raise money again. Um,
1: yeah, and that and that puts that puts founders and CEOs of startups in the Web3 space and, and everywhere really in what people call uh, wartime CEO mode, which mm-hmm. is basically which is basically protecting a at all costs, really. Um, I do think that there's a possibility, maybe I'm being a little bit hopeful and optimistic, maybe too much, <laughs> but I think there is a possibility that the Web3 space starts picking up again, because I, I there was undoubtedly, uh, I think there is a um, general disillusion with, and disappointment with the Traditional tech space, right? Mm-hmm. People people were fired from Twitter, as a this whole big deba- debacle at Twitter, and now Google, and now Amazon. So there's not really for a bunch of people that were planning on doing a career in tech mm-hmm. and um, working in the in the fangs and so on. There's now, uh, I think, a big sentiment of of disappointment with it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: crypto and the Web3 space usually positions itself as the um, uh, as the antidotes to those things from a market point of view and from a f- even philosophical point of view. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of those people will start looking at, okay, maybe I can get a job in another FANG or another tech company mm-hmm. or in a startup, uh, web-to-startup or whatever, but uh, if I'm taking this opportunity to change my career from being a corporate employee of a big fang to Mm -hmm. a more lean uh, startup employee, I might as well choose a startup that is on the bleeding edge of technology, and that's probably Web3, AI, and so on, right? And and so I think we'll have a bunch of talent coming into the space from these layoffs, because they Mm -hmm. probably have an inherent disappointment with the current status quo of the fangs, because they're all doing the same thing like there's
0: yeah i also would argue about web 3 like being the antithesis of of fangs because like i have noticed and this is my mini tangent like a lot of the people who work at fangs are who are in fang networked meaning they have a a network of people who also work at fang they come from certain colleges i mean a lot of them make up with people in web 3 and easily transition into web 3 and so From a um, admittedly biased point of view, like, if I'm going up against an ex-FANG person, and I've been Native Web 3 for the past almost two years, like, that person is more likely to get that role because we value the pedigree of FANG so much in tech in general. Um, And that, and I hope that we can live in a world eventually where you don't have to have a pedigree like Twitter or Google or Amazon to forward your career because I personally I don't think like you said the work at things and Google are not super interesting and those patterns have already been created you're working on like minute details and it's just like we do it because of the career boost you know we we only want anybody wants to work at Amazon or Google is for So they could say in their LinkedIn profile that they used to work at Amazon or Google, you know, like, so I hope with this shift that we start to value other kinds of work in the market and not just look to companies as markers of quality, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sorry. I, I sorry, to no. I think I think that uh, that will not quite work for those people in this case because mm. I'm not sure if it is a. I, I I don't think it is a question of having a fang in your CV or not. Uh, I think it's more of a question of is someone that has worked at a corporate environment in a team of two thousand, mm-hmm. five thousand, ten thousand people adequate. To fulfill a role at a startup of five or ten people, right? Mm. I don't, I don't think it is. I think it is a big transition from someone that has worked at Google mm. or Facebook or Twitter or Apple, to now go and start working at a startup of five people, where mm. before they were the expert of the one part of the design system for one type of components, mm. right? And now they have to do the whole thing and the website and the branding and right. Mm. So. I don't think I think that's more of the uh, dividing uh, issue, which is that mm-hmm. is it's an issue of specialization versus versus generalization, right?
0: Generalists, yeah.
1: People that are generalists will probably uh, fare better in crises like this,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so than specialists. Because now, I mean, imagine someone that has worked for 10 years in the design system of Twitter—they're they're screwed. Where are they going to find another mm-hmm. rule like that, right? um and so they will have mm-hmm. to reinvent themselves they, re- they will have to reinvent themselves and so they will ha- they will be at a disadvantage somehow they could still and they will probably ov- obviously mm-hmm. use the reputation of being having worked at a FANG to um mm-hmm. to you know um get some edge but um i, I- honestly also people that hired based on that on those on those criteria are 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 not doing a good job because it's much more um, important to realize if the candidate that you're looking at is adequate to your environment than if they have uh, anything on their resume
0: you would think that right but in my experience interviewing a lot of times my interviewers have very little knowledge especially when I'm interviewing a web3 of design so like Mm -hmm. they don't know what they're looking for um, a lot of times um, or this is like their first or second design hire ever um, and so and a lot of them are highly connected and value someone who is coming from their network more than someone outside of the network that's just a bias that you can't overcome um, yeah. but moving on <laughs> I think I'm hopeful that we are able to build you know everybody's working on reputation in Web3 and I, and I'm hopeful that one day that we will come up with a tooling and mechanism to where we don't have that, to where, like, it's no longer viable to spin your career out of thing just for the resume boost that you, like, because I, I do often see designers, really good designers, who have just worked at mid-tier companies get overlooked a lot of times because they don't have X on their resume. Um so hopefully with this bear market, there's a little bit more uh, decentralization of talent, because um, I think that's a good thing in general.
1: Yeah, um, and it needs to happen because otherwise we'll get into the same mistake of mm-hmm. uh, 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 that that big companies are are uh, were doing as well, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. I think I think in Web three there's only a handful of companies that have the size. In uh, the corporate structure of things, like Coinbase mm-hmm. being one mm-hmm. of those, but
0: a Uniswap too, I would say.
1: Yeah, maybe. So, so, so I would, see, I would probably predict that there will be a few people that have just been fired from Google, uh, Facebook, and so on, Twitter, and they will maybe, probably, eventually get hired by Coinbase, right? Because it's a mm-hmm. good match in terms of uh, corporate structure, but it's not as if Coinbase is hiring, right? <laughs> So, no,
0: so, exactly. They
1: just uh, fired uh, all the designers. So, <laughs> and they had and they had a huge team and and the designers, and researchers, and all that. So, uh, huge by you know web well, three terms. And so, um, uh, that's 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 quite a thing, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I I do think that the f- for most people, the better option would be to, um, to try to take advantage of this opportunity to re- to reinvent themselves a little bit. Yeah. And if that's transitioning to a, a space like Web3 or AI or whatever it is, that's cool. And But also, I think this should serve as a reminder that uh, when you are an employee, especially of a big company, mm-hmm. you are always, always, always susceptible to be left... Yeah. In the dark, or in the middle of a work trip, or just having a pager to reach your colleagues, mm-hmm. or getting cut off as cold as it possibly could happen, because yeah, cause you're
0: a number to you're them. You're just a number
1: to them, exactly. Yeah. Um. I
0: mean, that's part of the reason why I personally, because of my generalist approach to design, didn't never really saw a thing as super appealing to work for. Um but the one thing I want to move on to is I've noticed typically whenever times are rough historically, we can go back to the nineties bubble and some other bubbles. Design is usually one of the first teams are the team that tends to see the most um cuts during times of hardship. I think companies tend to hold on to their engineers if they if they can. And like design takes like a big chunk of the layoffs And I have some theories as to why that is But I'm curious to what you think about like the How disciplines get cut in terms of um hardships for companies
1: Yeah uh, I'm not sure if there is a bias against certain disciplines uh, When there's time to cutting But I'm pretty sure that Uh, Engineers are safer than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, by the way, I don't think it is necessarily good that if a company fires a bunch of people and you are the engineer or one of the few engineers that are left and still have your job. I mean, I, I don't think... Necessarily won this because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're, you're pretty screwed at this point, mm-hmm. and uh, it could be said that you're in the sinking ship and so on and so forth. So, um, if people are in that situation, I think it would be useful to reflect a little bit if they are on the right path or not, right? Um, but um, but I, I, I do think that uh, engineers are maybe a little bit safer than everybody else, and mostly because you know um if the if the site goes down uh, a designer cannot put it back up again <laughs> uh, and uh, an engineer probably can and so from a from a from a reliability and um, um, quality of service point of view, I think engineers are more valued than than designers or honestly anybody else really um, I, I do think it is interesting to compare. The impact that layoffs have on designers, against, for example, salespeople and marketing people, which I think um, maybe there's not that much of a difference, for example, Um, than than against engineers. I think engineers will always have uh, the safer spot.
0: Yeah, and I think I don't know. I think there is a bias. I think most of the time when I've experienced cuts at a company design is the one of the first areas that they start to cut um and i think i don't i think it's because design is usually associated with newness and mm-hmm. innovation and moving forward and same thing with recruiting actually recruiting tends to have disproportionate amount of cuts because their your whole job is to like find new people to penetrate the organization yeah, exactly. so whenever a company is making cuts they're making a decision to go in sort of a maintenance mode and to cut down on new projects and new things and so whenever they're cutting design they're probably most likely cutting areas of design that are dedicated to future building yeah. and yeah. they are only keeping designers that are needed to maintain whatever they have yeah. and honestly like it, it, it it's kind of fucked up in a way especially in web3 because it's like I you know I got hired as a designer to help build your organization up to this point and now that we're at this point and you're facing hardship you're cutting me but so even though like the reason why you're there is because of the work I've done <laughs> which kind of yeah. sucks and, you and, know. and
1: and even <laughs> yeah it's 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 quite unfair but I I do even think it's bad it's a bad strategy really because if mm-hmm. you are, if you are on times of crisis, like for example, I, th- I think a, a good example of, because I think we're mainly talking about, if you are a company and if you have to fire people, who do you choose to fire, right? And it's, and, and by the way, I've, I've had to fire people in my company, and it's one of the most uh, hard things to do as well, and. Um, uh, Definitely, we know that the way Google just did these firings is horrible and dystopian mm-hmm. and so on. But I do think there's some examples of some good way of doing it. I remember that during um, during the, the beginning of the pandemic, Airbnb realized, oh shit, people are not getting out of the house. <laughs> people mm-hmm. are not renting Airbnbs, right? So our revenue is going to go down. We were mm-hmm. planning on um, on um, IPOing and all that or, or close to IPOing. Uh, what do we do? And they fired a bunch of people as well. They did it in a very thoughtful way, by the way, I think, mm-hmm. as, as much as it could have possibly been done, I guess. But they kept the people that would allow them to reinvent themselves in this new mm-hmm. um, era where Airbnb would need to be different, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the, the smart Move. That's a smart way of doing uh, uh, restructuring of the company by firing people. Because if you do a restructuring of your company just to keep your company in maintenance mode, you're very likely just, you know, delaying the inevitable outcome, which Mm -hmm. is your company is irrelevant and should not exist in this world, right? So you you should keep the people that would allow you to reinvent the company and. And um, I think it's even bad strategy and bad and bad bad decision making to to fire the ones that have the creative power to do that reinvention.
0: Yeah, but the people who usually are making these decisions are like executives that only see line items and exactly. like, <laughs> yep, you know, cuts here, cut there. But I do agree. I think that especially when I work at coordinate, what we're, what we're doing you know we've done things to extend our one word but we do acknowledge that, like and we need to be able to innovate in order to be look good enough for the next round of investors you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) at least at least that yeah
1: exactly
0: (laughs) uh we need i think in web3 yeah it would be it would not behoove you to lay off first of all Most Leslie companies have maybe one designer. Let's just get that straight. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's not like they they have room to cut designers because they already have not that many designers, unless you are, like, a Coinbase or something. But secondly, um, if you're making cuts, design is actually, and I've even said this before in other conversations, actually not the right cut. But like you said, design is going to help you get to the next thing. And if you are putting all your... You know, your eggs in your engineering basket, you know, like engineers, I love them to death, but they're not typically the ones that are a part of the future building and the strategic part and business development of an app, you know, mm-hmm. or even, you know. So you need user research, you need designers to help you get closer to mar- product market fit. And if you're looking to make a cut, design is probably not the best cut, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And if anything, you need to invest more in design um, and a little bit less on, you know, hands doing things such as engineering. Um,
1: Yeah, I agree. um, you you know, I I, I think that the the Airbnb example that I just mentioned during the pandemic, I think it is the first time where at that scale that actually proved right because I mm-hmm. think it is it is magical. It is impressive that Airbnb has not gone bankrupt as it should have been yeah. because it is <laughs> it is a, a VC back startup. It was mm-hmm. you know worth billions of dollars. Blah, blah blah blah. Their revenue turned to zero overnight, and they were able to reinvent themselves fast enough and well enough. That uh, they are surviving and thriving now, right? And they probably already picked up uh, the scale that they had before. And and maybe it is a coincidence or not, but the founders of Airbnb studied design, so <laughs> maybe that's... Yeah, I think having yeah, design a leadership
0: or right? at least design-minded um, yeah. or educated is is a, definitely it's a, a leg up. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely different. And I will say, like, Airbnb is kind of one of those things that have has had to reinvent itself in order to survive. And I think they are kind of used to it and they have a culture of it. I think. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of the Airbnb story of, like, they sold, like, collectors' items of cereal boxes. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. For
0: the Democratic campaign in order to pay off their debt. Like, you know, just random stuff like that. So. I think we can take a page from out of Airbnb's book, and you know, try to make those tough decisions, like you said, wartime startup. But no, you know.
1: But, but in a courageous manner, not mm-hmm. not in a defensive, uh, mm-hmm. kind of cowardly hiding your tail kind of manner, right? Because yeah, <laughs> because that's what it is. What what they've done at Airbnb was pure courage. You know, because mm-hmm. if, if that would then, if that would went wrong, if they would actually fail, they would be failing badly, and everybody would mm-hmm. be like, "Those stupid founders!" Mm-hmm. They <laughs> right? Everybody would be fucking murdering them, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, they actually took the courageous decision, I guess. I, I I believe actually, and uh, uh, and that's that's really all the difference. And in times like this, I mean, in, in I mean. What other time to take a courageous decision than this, right? If if, mm-hmm. if there's any time, it's now. So um, I I think it I think it is a, a great example that should inspire people and should inspire leaders of companies to really think about mm-hmm. what they're cutting and 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 how as well, because uh, even the way people are cutting employees is inhumane to say the least.
0: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty tough out there. Um, I guess the next thing I want to talk about is basically speaking to our designers. Like, if you are a designer mm-hmm. who's recently been laid off, or who's recently become underemployed, like myself, like what do you do? What ha- what have you? You know, things like that. I will say I'm personally navigating this on my own, as and I'm I'm not I'm not an expert by any means on how <laughs> to pick your career off the you know, the floor, but I can share some things that I've learned. I don't know, Paula, have you had have you been in this position before where you've been laid off and how did you like approach it? Um yeah, well
1: I've been I I've been my own boss for a while because uh the last time I've been laid off, which I think was like ten years ago, I was I got so pissed that I swore <laughs> I would never uh, work for anybody else again. <laughs> and I'll become my own boss uh, So that's kind of a, one way of doing it Very painful, mm. very hard way of doing it uh, Which I don't recommend But that's what I did But I, I do, because I do um, Prioritize my You know, uh, autonomy and independence Let's say mm-hmm. And so um, I had to become an entrepreneur Basically um, Which is a totally different skill set from Being a designer And it is not Not An easy transition, but I think an easier transition from design to entrepreneur than from maybe Mm -hmm. engineer to entrepreneur. Uh, Because um, designers should know how to uh, communicate. Designers should know how to um, 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 sell stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. even even if th- themselves or their services specifically right, and so uh, we do have the skill set for that and um, mm-hmm. uh, we should take that to to, to our advantage and uh, um, I, I do think there's a bunch of opportunity for uh, recently laid off designers to start thinking about, okay, maybe I can become a freelancer, maybe I can become a contractor, maybe I can become my own boss in some way or another. But it is mm-hmm. a big jump from the stability and uh, comfort of a corporate life, of course. And that's not something that everybody's willing or can do because of, you know, uh, fami- f- family obligations or whatever it is, right? So mm-hmm. um, uh, I, 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 do, I, I do think that people should take advantage of this, of this moment to um, at least try something out that is different than you. Because Mm -hmm. uh, I I think we're at a point in the world where, you know, the old recipes don't really work anymore. Yeah. (laughs) We're kind of of sensing that in a bunch of ways. And so, um, I mean, uh, really, what are you going to do? Are you going to apply to another corporate job and be susceptible to be laid off like this again? It's like, Mm -hmm. come on, uh, let's try something else.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, as a person who's kind of done both, I think, I kind of like doing both, Um, but I'm also a workaholic, so I don't recommend it for everybody, but I have worked freelance while also maintaining my full-time job, Mm -hmm. and my full-time job just being, like, purposely benign, so then I have, you know, a steady paycheck and time and energy to devote to some of my freelance work. Mm -hmm. Um. I think I have done both. And I will say freelance does skill you up a lot faster than yeah. uh, working at a corporation. I do think having corporation experience does help your resume. So doing it at least, you know, two, three years in your career um, to, like, kind of put your time in is a good way to do that. But I have personally skilled up a lot faster in my short time in web three than my four years of being a designer at a company. Yeah. Um so I definitely highly suggest at least picking up if you can, if you have time and energy, a side job or working at a startup if you can um you know, risk it or have a good nest egg in case, you know, runway runs out or whatever because it does um, allow you to see product creation from end to end. And I think having that experience just generally gives you a leg up at most places because you can design things with that knowledge and skill set. The way I personally have been navigating being underemployed is just kind of running experiments. Like, I, you know, paid for a boosted... (laughs) Of You know, it took me years to finish my portfolio, basically. And so when I was ready for work, I just started blasting my portfolio everywhere. And it wasn't because I was thinking I was going to get a job from it. I wanted to study how people were experiencing my work through Google Analytics and things like Hotjar. So by, you know, pushing traffic to my website by, like, spamming it on Twitter or paying for, you know, a boosted promoted ad with my Mm -hmm. link in it, allowed me to start to see how people were experiencing my work and now I have I feel like I have enough data to like revise my case studies to look better from when I'm applying for jobs um that,
1: that's a very that's a very data-centric way of doing it I love it I, I, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I think it's <laughs> awesome actually that's, that's great yeah
0: I guess I can share my findings so far so what I learned is that my first mistake with writing my case studies was I wrote them in like a sort of blog format, as hmm. if someone was going to read them. Unfortunately, <laughs> and um, the average time on my website is two minutes, and they spend maybe twenty seconds, thirty seconds on my case studies. Right. And and so people are really just kind of scanning, and I've and you have to balance basically showing your work in pictures but still showing enough process to kind of let the recruiter or design manager know that you kind of know what you're doing. And that's been kind of hard for me because there is a sort of theater that happens in portfolios that is not really how the work actually happens. And I feel like I'm creating a movie based on a true story of the work that I've done versus the actual work that I did.
1: Right, which yeah. has been
0: hard for me to like wrestle with. It's like,
1: and do I? I would add something else on that, which is, you're creating a movie and expecting that the viewer of the movie, of the movie would relate to that specific story, and you don't know yeah. if they relate to that specific story because the the project that you're showing is some other project, right? Some other yeah. industry, maybe some other uh, way of working, some other team size, some other management mm-hmm. style, and so. The viewer has to do this exercise of like, okay, let me imagine if someone that went through this movie and this story, how they would fit mm-hmm. in my story in my movie. And it's a kind of a loss of translation moment, right, where mm-hmm. where everybody's trying to tr- to try to figure out if people are a good fit or not. Yeah. yeah. I mean uh, you know, I'm I'm one of those uh douchebags, I'll say, that um uh has never had a portfolio.
0: And oh, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's a Roplex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that's why I said it. it's a kind of a move. But uh the the thing is that I do um and maybe this is a good strategy for these times. Uh, what I do when I try to get some work, what I do is that I offer some of my time for free to the company. Mm-hmm. And um and uh, I I work with them and I do, you know, either a facilitated workshop or I do Something for them that I think I can provide value, and then I got the I get them kind of hooked into working with me, and then they want to work with me. Um, so uh, it's kind of a drug dealer approach. <laughs> and uh, That is a good. I mean, that's a good strategy. It's working for you so far. <laughs> well, I, I I think it is a beautiful strategy for DAOs, really, because mm-hmm. actually I think I think DAOs suffered from this. Maybe too much because everybody's trying mm-hmm. to contribute for free at first, in mm-hmm. the eventuality of getting paid, right?
0: Yeah. But
1: uh, which leads to you know spec work and and uh, abuse of some kind and so on, which is not good. But in some DAOs that you know actually have the money and actually de- need design and work and so on, you can actually get a lot of a lot of things done like this, right? You can, if you invest one or two weeks working at a DAO that you know has the potential to pay you because you know you go to the you know the safe and you see money there.
0: And mm-hmm. you, you
1: see the proposals that they paid other people for other work, right? Uh, and so if you have that validation already, and if you go to that now and you offer your services and you actually are valuable to them and people start to be like, oh, we would love to have mm-hmm. you more, around more, uh, then you can get eventually to the point of you know getting paid for your own work and making a proposal for that and passing and so on. I, I think it is a, m- a much cooler way to get a job nowadays than building a portfolio sending the CV to people, expecting their reply, going through the interview process. By the way, interview processes right now are huge. I, I really get, get upset about... I can about. go on
0: a huge tangent about... It's, dude, it's all a, theater, though. It's all theater. Like It's just it's so maddening because... Like, the things that they ask you in interviews, the people who, the things that they're looking for, it's all just theater. It's yep. not how the work yep. actually happens, it's not how yep. collaboration actually happens, it's not how design actually happens. And I think there, it's more of a, honestly, a bias, and sometimes, you know, racially and culturally biased process mm-hmm. of like, for sure. how, how homogenous can you appear? Mm-hmm. Um, to get this job, unfortunately, it, 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 it is
1: it is a, it is a compliance check. It is what it is. Yeah. The interviewers are basically checking if you will be compliant enough in their culture, and uh, because the last thing they want is to hire something that is going to you know uh, rock, rock the, the boat, boat, rock the boat too much, right? I mean, which makes sense because they want to protect their boat because they're they're there already, right? And mm-hmm. you you are in the sea drowning basically in this metaphor, and so. Uh, they they are very uh, they're doing a compliance check on if you should join the boat or not. But but I, I mean even if you look at it uh, logically, for you to get employed in a company, you have to spend at least for one company only two weeks of interview process in the mm-hmm. best in the best of scenarios, right? Mm-hmm. Um, doing design exercises bullshit design exercises, interv- getting interviewed by four five six people, right in Five, six different occasions, and uh, you have to go through this maddening interview process that will take a long time as well. And Mm -hmm. uh, you're applying for a company that you're not really, uh, you know, very inclined to work at. It's just because it maybe pays well and they're hiring right now. It's not Mm -hmm. really your passion to work in the fintech industry or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Or insurance tech or whatever. And so uh, you you will lose your time either way. So yeah. you might as well just contribute to something that you're passionate about, and I'm sure you can find a DAO that you're passionate about, what they're trying to do, and relates to you and, and, and calls you to to contribute to that mission. And um, and if they have funds and uh, they like your work, you have high chances of getting paid. And so you can make your own job mm. nowadays much more easily than you could in the past, spe- specifically in the Web3 world, and uh, you'd be on... Uh, on uh, the theoretically the cutting edge of, of the tech scene, right, which is um, crypto and Web three and so on. And so I think yeah. it is a, I think it is a valuable approach, and I think people should at least try it out, um, mm-hmm. especially if they are disappointed with the current status quo of traditional corporate recruiting. And
0: I say do it all because as a person who's like counting her pennies and stacking her nickels right now. It's like, you know, when you're in that position where you're backed against the wall financially, mm-hmm. you just start to do, you know, you're like, you're we're, I think we've kind of been conditioned to just like, let me just apply to everything and like, see what happens. And like, it's all a numbers game. And right. I do think there is a better strategy. And I'm kind of personally, I'm doing it all. I'm putting in benign applications to places I probably don't really want to work at. Mm-hmm. Um I'm networking and, and talking to people in my network and making connections like that. And I am, you know, looking for potential DAOs or any other like Web3 projects that I'm interested in, and and seeing if they're compu- if they're, you know, looking for work. So I think I'm I'm of the mindset like it's all a numbers game, and if you have the energy, just do it all, <laughs> honestly. And if you feel like you're not getting far in your search. Like, maybe, you know, you can go and come into the Telegram designer dial chat. Or I do think it's, it's valuable to have another designer and maybe someone who's hired before look mm-hmm. at your resume and look at your portfolio and see if there's anything that um, stands out in terms of, like, revision or anything like that. Um, I'm personally at that phase where I'm looking to revise my portfolio um, because I am doing the traditional applicant putting in applications unfortunately no,
1: um no, I, I think it's very useful i have been i've been mentoring some designers in their in their um, uh search for new jobs mm-hmm. and um and uh, it, it, i i it, i think it is i think they would say maybe probably i hope
0: <laughs> that it is it
1: is helpful to have a, a, another set of eyes Looking at your uh, portfolio and, and also cover letter Because I think sometimes in the cases that require cover letter Actually makes a lot of difference Especially from someone that has hired before mm-hmm.
0: And um,
1: and uh, I, I, I do think that in times like this Where everybody's applying to a bunch of things Because mm-hmm. you know a, a, a lot of people were let go All of the strategies that you can think about as a designer to uh, distinguish yourself from the competition, really, other designers are 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 good ideas to invest in because mm-hmm. um, uh, you know there's there's a there's a bunch of people doing kind of the same thing and if you can either because you uh, networked your way in or because mm-hmm. you actually design your applications application experience in a particular way or mm-hmm. because you know you. Um, you actually did something in real life where you met someone uh, from the company and uh, and uh, you uh, helped them with something and they want to retribute the favor by uh, giving you an intro or something, whatever it is. Um, I, I think that the um, non-traditional, uh, orthod- non traditional or non orthodox way of applying will probably get better results in times like this than the than the normal way of doing it, because it's just it's just the default way that everybody's doing and I think it would it would be useful to take a little bit uh of time to reflect and try to figure out okay for this specific company in this mm-hmm. specific industry for my specific style and my specific um, type of work that I do, what would be the uh most adequate way to apply to this job right mm-hmm. because because it probably it isn't Uh, just send my default portfolio, my default couple left and my default link and so on. And I've, I've, uh, in my, you know, freelancer days, I've, I've done all websites just to apply to a company. Mm -hmm. You know, super custom to this specific company where I've done usability testing sessions with people on their website and I found bugs and I documented it, you know, this kind of Mm -hmm. thing super custom, super specific to their company, and they look at it and they're like, oh, fuck, this guy already did a bunch of work. We should Mm -hmm. maybe talk to them, right? So I think that in times like this, all the strategies they can do to differentiate yourself from the other applicants would be super valuable. Also, I'm also
0: not above light LinkedIn stalking, meaning (laughs) the companies that do want to work for... I t- tend to go on LinkedIn and follow all the designers and follow all mm-hmm. the people in the industry that I'm interested in because sometimes, you know, like, I think I feel like us as designers, especially our people in tech, we, we like to think of ourselves, especially if we have a fang resume as like many celebrities, which is kind of weird, but I think... Um, a lot of times they'll post on LinkedIn, and you'll probably be one of the maybe five, ten people that they mm-hmm. see. And so, you know, replying to their posts or even commenting or things like that um, will, like, add more visibility to who you are. And, like, you know, whenever you do apply to that job, they can be like, oh, I saw that person somewhere. or Like, I remember talking to that person, yeah. you know, on the chat. So that's also another good strategy um, in terms of, like, job search, especially if you're focusing on your job search, like you're saying, which is, like, doing spec work for potential clients. Yep. And I want to ask you about that. Like, as a person who's never had to do a portfolio, and if you're trying to transition because you've been laid off from corporate life into freelancer life so to where you never need to put an application, um, how would you, you know, Recommend
1: going about that transition Well I, I think the transition Is much more about your um, Your life outside of design Than about your mm-hmm. life in design So that's, <laughs> that's I think mm-hmm. the, the first thing that people I guess should be aware of Because um, Another thing that I'll say is that I, I don't recommend this to uh, most people because mm. it, it is a way of living where you know that okay all you have no job security as a freelancer basically right mm-hmm. um so you can get um uh fired at any moment really um and so uh with no safety net basically or virtually no safety mm-hmm. net and uh and so it's it is risky and it's not as comfortable as a corporate life uh but um I think it can be potentially more rewarding because you do have the um, autonomy to decide on what you work.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, sometimes you don't have that autonomy because you really need money, so you just work on whatever, and you know everybody goes through that those kind mm-hmm. of phases. But um, I, I do think that the the more you um, so so basically the thing is if uh, someone is working In a particular job Because they like the money And that's their main motivation
0: mm-hmm. They will
1: only be able to do A level of work With a level of quality That is kind of capped somehow mm-hmm. And uh, the quality will only go higher The higher their salary will go Because that's their main yes, motivation correct. Answer, right? mm-hmm. and, and we kind of can sense That that level of cal- quality Is capped at some level somewhere now, if you're working at a job that you really love, even if you're going to if you're going to be you know paid below average, but you're really motivated because you really like what you're doing, your level of quality is not really capped. Mm-hmm. Meaning, meaning that uh, the motivation with which you're doing that job will translate in a much better output because you're doing it not for the money, because, but because you intrinsically are motivated to do it because you like what you're doing, mm-hmm. and so. You know, it is that cliche advice of if you uh, like your work, you don't work at your life, right? And so mm-hmm. um, if you optimize for that, I think that as a um, uh, uh, an additional benefit, you'll get the benefit of the quality of your work will definitely increase because now it is not kept by the financial motivation that you had before. And for designers yeah. specifically, that's super motivating. Right? When yeah. when you're a designer and you're doing great work and you're proud of your work, you feel confident on your work and you feel like, yeah, fuck, I'm doing I'm doing great. Even though my finances are not that good and I could be <laughs> earning more somewhere else, right? Because that's that's usually what happens, even then you feel confident. And that confidence will translate in um better opportunities, right? Uh, later, I hope. And most of the times it does. And so I would, I would advise people to just optimize for doing what they feel passionate about
0: mm-hmm.
1: to the expense of, well, there might be some months in the coming months where I'm going to be struggling financially as, as hell. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, um, um, it's just what it is, right? Uh, and, and, and again, one way of looking at it is like, Talking about it and be like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. oh, fucked, right? Or another way of looking at it is like, huh, I now have this opportunity to to redefine myself and yeah. um, and to redesign myself, which is something that designers are really bad at. Designers are good at designing other things and other <laughs> organizations and things beside themselves, but when it comes to designing themselves, it's like uh i don't really feel like it now, right? So. yeah me i
0: i'm definitely uh in that camp i feel like whenever i'm designing for myself i'm very like just just i'm not i just think in black and white i'm just like okay this i just think it's the simplest thing to do honestly like what's the simplest thing to do and i've always like bode well but it's just like you know after you spend your days designing for other people it's just like you know it's hard to get that energy for yourself
1: yeah um, it, it, I will it, say it, it has basically became a meme at this point which is like yeah. <laughs> designers have done their you know 40th version of their portfolio or something because they cannot you to decide on one or something. Right? I, have so. c- I
0: have considered paying someone to design my my portfolio couple <laughs> awesome. times. So. <laughs> I'm like, if I ever have any extra money, I best believe I will be doing that next time because I just like, you know, I will art direct the shit out of something for sure. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: that's a, that's an interesting yeah. phenomenon, isn't it? And I think it's coming to all designers, by the way. So that's that's mm-hmm. really that's really cool.
0: Yeah, I think someone said on Twitter, like, we need a DAO or organization dedicated to designing <laughs> websites for designers. <laughs> for design. <laughs> that,
1: uh, that's like, a market opportunity right there. Yeah. If
0: someone wants to do that in designer DAO, feel free. Um, but <laughs> I will say, okay, there's a couple things that I think that you didn't touch on. And I think it's not your fault. I think you have a bias because you have been a freelancer for such a long time that you you might have forgotten. (laughs) But the hardest part of going from corporate to freelancer is, one, having a strong enough network to get an instant client base, Mm -hmm. you know, from the Mm get-go. So if you're going from corporate to freelance but you don't have a strong network of people that can vouch for your work and refer work to you, I think that's going to be hard. And I think you might have to have a job in between while you do the work to build mm-hmm. your network up. Um, and I think secondly, the, the thing that was hard for me going from corporate to freelance was honestly all the logistics shit. Like I had to hire an accountant, I had to make an LLC, yeah, right. yeah. I had to, I have a bookkeeper, I have like. All this stuff, and as a person with pretty severe ADHD, it was a little overwhelming, mm-hmm. and it still is sometimes. Like I gotta call the IRS right now for something that I haven't <laughs> done yet. And if you're not that, if you're not that person who wants to dedicate like ten hours a week to just maintaining the logistics of your business, be prepared to either a hire out for it and price your work accordingly to afford that or be be prepared to like um you know become your own accountant and bookkeeper and all these things yep. and read up on them and um and be prepared for that um yeah. quarterly taxes all that great stuff you oh. know? <laughs> I I'm
1: talking I'm talking I'm talking to you from a room where I'm surrounded by receipts and invoices <laughs> and you have no idea what's going on in here but it's basically exactly as you described so there's 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 all this overhead of running your own business that, I mean, people c- kindly ignore it for the most part, and and uh, uh, nobody talks about it that much. But it is really a pain, and it it yeah. it, it is really several hours a week.
0: It's a job within a job.
1: And and sure. uh, and, uh, and and it's a type of work that uh, most designers really really hate, and so. Um, yeah, I think you should price it and and uh, and, uh, um, and realize that the, it's not is not just so straightforward as it might look. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's it's also a good learning opportunity, and it's also an opportunity for you to be. Uh, on top of your personal finances as well, because mm-hmm. you are kind of forced to report on your taxes and and, yeah. and, and not get fined and you know all the all the good stuff. And so honestly,
0: if I could go back in time and speak to myself before I went freelance, I would say something along the lines of, uh, "Yeah, make control your expenses. Do not do not because you want to be you want your base expenses to be cheap. Like mm-hmm. if you have a lot of debt." If you have um a lot of bills in general and your expenses are generally high um it's gonna be hard to be a freelancer because then you're gonna be hustling to meet that number every month and if that number's pretty high, that means you gotta work a lot more mm-hmm. um and I made the misfortune mistake of not doing that and now I <laughs> I'm mean, I'm not bad but I'm not good. I, I can punch myself in the face for like raising my expenses up when I had no business doing that. Yeah. Um so so and, and I would I would be very careful of any loans you take on, of yeah, exactly. um, any if any uh financial obligations and just be very conservative because you just never know if you're gonna have a down month. Yeah. Um, it's Because but, um,
1: yeah. But but to be honest, I would say that you're now better prepared for that than the 12,000 people that were fired from Google and they were spending yeah. they were spending yeah. thousands a month, they were spending several thousand, tens of thousands a month uh, with their salaries, and now they get zero, and now they're like, oh shit, I'm gonna lose my car, I'm gonna lose my house, I'm gonna yeah. lose, yeah. Right? So they are in that situation right now. So even them. Are now realizing that they are not immune to that because even working for the biggest badass Mm -hmm. company in the world will will place them in the same situation as any freelancer. And so, uh, overnight, with a text at three a.m.
0: In general, yeah.
1: So, so, so they also they also can suffer the same fate. And I think um, it is more, um, it is less stressful. To suffer that fate from your own demise than from somebody else's demise. <laughs> and True. So, and so, uh, I would prefer to, you know, have autonomy over my own work and over uh, my own life than giving that autonomy to a corporation that sees me as a number.
0: Yeah, I will. I will say that this is a book I highly recommend. I just it's a really quick read. I just finished. I listened to it on Audible in like two days. It's called The Psychology of Money. Anybody who's down on their luck right now and really looking at their finances, I highly suggest you read or listen to that book because it definitely opened my eyes in terms of learning about how to build wealth and also learning about all the things mentally that we do with money that puts mm-hmm. us in these, like, downfalls. Um, so, yeah, definitely yeah. recommend that book. Um So I think um I what what else I have to say like I think being a freelancer definitely well actually let me go back um one thing that I have learned as currently I'm a freelancer is uh, my clients right now especially in the spare market are looking for savings they're looking for um, reliability. And I've had to actually be really flexible on my rates and my approach in this market in order to, Mm -hmm. you know, keep the clients that I have, and um, a lot of them are tend to be more open to a set rate for your work versus hourly or variable. So that's the one thing I've noticed. So if you are working freelance or looking to work freelance, like pricing your work out in terms of like on a project basis, it's good for them because they know that the project's going to be a set amount of money so they can like budget better. Mm-hmm. And it's good for you because you know you're going to get guaranteed a certain amount of income. So I've actually moved a little bit further away from hourly and gone to more set rates because of that and also um i've negotiated scope a lot because a lot of times especially in bear markets clients want the most for the least
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> unfortunately and then when the market's competitive they're like i'll just find someone else that's going to do all this work for nothing um and i think you might have to you know sell yourself a little bit more in terms of like hey like i know that other designers you know looking to do all this work for less money But, like, here's my track record and here's my level of professional, you know. And you're just going to have to sell yourself a little bit more and sell the quality of your work more and, you know, reassure the client that, like, yes, my rate is competitive. It's in the middle. But I deliver such high-quality work that you're not going to, you know, need to come back to this work. You're going to, you know, whatever. It's going to be worth the price. So there's going to be a little bit more... As, as a freelancer prepared to to do a little bit more selling and convincing um than in other markets when people had money to just like cut you huge check
1: <laughs> before <laughs> yeah
0: but um, and
1: I, I would also add that uh, there's a I um i mean again the drug dealer approach which is mm-hmm. to um w- w- which by the way it, it's something that uh can sound a little bit uh uh, bad because it, it is basically uh, indulging in, in spec work, right? But mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't do it. Um, I, I do it very, very seldom. But right? like very mm-hmm. rarely do I do that. But but um, but I do think that we need to realize as designers that basically if we're talking with a, a founder or a business owner and we're saying, "Hey, you have some problems that I think I can solve with my skill set." Uh, you probably have never uh, worked with a designer before. You probably have, don't even know what design can mm-hmm. do. So if that's the case, I'm basically trying to preach him uh, 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 an offering that he doesn't, he, he never saw it working, right? It, mm-hmm. For him, for him, it looks like it either sounds like a miracle or it sounds like something that's not possible. So basically, you're probably bullshitting him, right? That's what it sounds to them, and so um uh you know seeing is believing, and so sometimes uh, it is worth to go the, the the extra effort of okay let me demonstrate it to you and mm-hmm. do just a tiny bit and literally just demonstrate the um you know the advantage of having a design mindset trying to tackle a problem right mm-hmm. and um, and see um uh, if you can convince them better that way because for us as designers when we need to sell more our services and we need to sell better our services. Um, what a better way to sell design than to just, you know, demonstrate it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Especially for people that have very little context of uh, you know, how it works and have never you know, last time they worked with a designer was we to do some illustrations or something, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a different thing, right? So um I th- I think it is worth the effort and I think it is also a bit of our responsibility as designers to um, educate a little bit the clients in the public, uh, in that sense. And so if we can uh, leave a good impression like that and a good example and um, demonstrate what designer can do, maybe they would be more uh, inclined to trust us.
0: Yeah, and also in lieu of spec work, if you, can't, if you just simply can't afford to do spec work, because I have been in areas of my life where I literally just cannot afford to do spec work, I am also inclined for, like, discounted trial runs, if that makes sense. Right, so, like, yeah. um, you know, d- telling a client I'm willing to work with you for, like, a week or two for, like, half my typical rate yeah. um, to, like, get things started and, and see how it is. And I think a lot of clients are open to that because, like, again, like I said, interviewing is not the same as, as working. And, it, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into whether you're a good fit or... The collaboration works, and it's best for you and the client to learn that as soon as possible yep. um, before diving in. Um, because if you are a freelancer, you could choose to be like, you know what, this is great and no, all, but you know this is not for me, and move on to the next, um, you know, uh,
1: yeah, next project, next opportunity. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's also uh, that's also kind of a competitive advantage because, especially for juicy clients, for clients that people know they pay well. A lot mm-hmm. of the a lot of the other designers that are maybe bidding for something as you are, they will go like for the uh, the big bite, right? They they will go like, oh yes, I can do the whole project and I can work for you this whole time and I can do everything for you and I charge a big price, right? And so that's one way of doing it. The other mm-hmm. way of doing it is, okay, I'm not sure if we are going to work well together, but. Let's try for a couple of weeks at this rate mm-hmm. and see if it works. And then if it works, we can renew for a longer time. And now we have we are more confident that uh, the relationship works, so the rate makes sense, the full rate makes sense, and so on. So offering the, offering them kind of a trial like that is a good um, strategy, especially for juicy um, clients that pay a little bit above. Mm-hmm. Uh, Above average, because everybody else is pitching them like the full service, full price, because they know Mm -hmm. they're just a client, right? So, uh, you you can also get some differentiation there.
0: Yeah, I actually learned that lesson early in my freelance career. There was there was a um, a client that ended up, I mean, we still have a good relationship, but ended up passing on me because I did the whole package approach and like, you know, you know, and I feel like now that I know what I know, I'm like, I probably could have, you know, landed that client by offering like more lower lift or, you know, a beginner kind of easing them into it, um, versus like asking them to make a huge investment up front. Um, and that goes into my design grifter talk that we're, so our next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about design grifters. And I feel like the reason why I made that mistake is because a lot of grifters will say, oh, you need to sell yourself and you need to price yourself high and all this other stuff. And it's just not how it really works. Unless you're like a huge studio and you, um, have a, a you know, a, a huge reputation, maybe that style of approach works. But for most everybody in their business, it doesn't really work for them. And I will say a lot of design grifters, are so far off their in their um career that they don't actually know what it's like anymore to be mid or beginning and so all Mm -hmm. their advice is based off of their personal bias and their um long-standing career of being in this you know kind of upward position you know
1: and 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 privilege most of the times as well
0: yeah privilege behind the scenes like mommy and daddy or like Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) or like you know funding and and investors that they don't talk about and things like that um Mm -hmm. which as a person who did not have that at all and still doesn't um is a part that I actually got was very confused about early in my career um, was like the like okay, why is people making it seem like this thing is so much easier than it is and I'm ha- but I'm having so much trouble, you know?
1: Are they trying um, are they trying to sell me something? Maybe they are.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they are. Uh, like if you made a designer and their whole design business is them talking about design, I have to light up the red flag. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Uh, But we'll go in more detail on that in our next episode. Um, I guess, um, yeah, I don't know. The last part I have about on this subject is, like, you know, a lot of designers, if you're facing a lot of rejection right now, you know, it can be, you know, wear on you and get kind of disheartening. And I think just remember that this is a competitive market, and it might not eat – even be anything to do with you in particular it's just that like you're going up against a a bunch of other very talented designers and they might have a network connection they might have you know something that you don't and it doesn't necessarily make you a less of a designer you know it just Mm -hmm. means that it's just not the right fit or they're not looking for the things that you're offering um and if you are starting to get into a stalemate in your job shirts where you're getting tons of rejection and no leads, it might, you know, behoove you to like look at the analytics of your portfolio, look at your resume and like ask for, um, you know, someone to review it or help. Um, and I would ask someone who has hired before or even a potentially a recruiter because more often than not, the person looking at your portfolio or resume to like give you the green door, Is not the same person that you're going to be working with, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And you want to optimize your resume, LinkedIn, and portfolio for the screeners, not the uh, designers. Because if you're – designers, they're not going to be the one looking at your portfolio. They're going to want to talk to you in an interview about your work. So um, definitely ask for advice from people who have made a, a career Scanning and filtering out candidates Because they're the, per- the person who has the most Experience with it
1: Yeah, I, I think um, it's great advice And I think that uh, um, th- this is, These are also The times where at least on You know uh, tech LinkedIn People um, make Themselves available for a call with, uh, with people that have just been laid off And I think people that are In a situation that they're getting rejection After rejection they're trying to look for a job They're feeling mm-hmm. down a bit it doesn't hurt to talk with somebody else. It, it, and so if, if that's kind of a mentor kind of type, if that's a, you know, somebody yeah. could give you some advice in terms of applying for a job or recruitment or whatever it is, I would urge people to take take people that are offering their time, um, take them on their offer, and uh, book a call with someone that can mm-hmm. uh, help you to uh, you know, improve your process, your portfolio, your presentation, your you know, um, your whole pitch, um, mm-hmm. because, I mean, what, what else, what, what bad could it come from there, right? Mm-hmm. It you, you, you will only get, uh, get, uh, good information, pro, uh, to, to try to, to get better, and, uh, I think you'll, you'll, you'll feel also better, because, um, you have just had the space to, um... To be heard by somebody else that uh, understands you maybe has gone through the same thing before and so these kind of times are good times to look for mentors look for advisors look for people that can support you and mm-hmm. uh, hopefully there are still a lot of people that um, put their time available for that and um, and so take them on their offers
0: yeah definitely i think um right now it's more than ever ever to build and we got, actually, I think we should have an episode on networking, too, because I do think mm-hmm. um, how networking is marketed versus how you actually do it is two different things. And I've learned some <laughs> yeah. things around the way <laughs> to teach me that. But in, in lieu of that episode, there's a mini part. Like, in this market, you want to network not for jobs because people can kind of smell that. They can smell desperation. They can oh, yeah. smell, oh, you want only reason why you're talking to me is because you want. To me, to hook you up with a job. Honestly, I would start talking to other designers, including other designers who've been laid off, and reaching out. And if, if they're posting on LinkedIn, and you know, maybe that's an opening, and be like, oh man, that's that sucks. Like, do you want to talk? Or like, you know, just just build a community of designers, because honestly, those are the connections that and in my with my front end engineers that has led to more work more than any other mm-hmm. person or, or position in my network. Like, executives, if you happen to have one in your network, like, a lot of them, you know, their time are pressed. You know, they get approached for that all the time. And they often don't even have the, you know, the lower-level connections to even get you, you know, a, a actual foot in the door. And then, um, like, even, like, mid to junior designers, like, um, they are they work with senior designers. They they are in community with senior designers. So like I wouldn't discriminate on experience level or anything. Just meet as much as other designers in the space that you want to work or the space that you want to work are currently working, and that can definitely lead to opportunities. And come at it with the lens of like I want I just want to make a new. You know, industry friend to talk about industry stuff with and, and to build rapport and maybe even build a friendship with. Um, versus approaching it from, oh, I just I just want to talk to this person because they can give me a job. So that's just <laughs> one yeah. a small tip um, in lieu of a potential networking episode that we're gonna do. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's some my final thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. Um. Yeah, I uh, I also want to remind people that um, uh, we're doing this podcast because we think designers should um, express themselves more and support each other more, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a Telegram chat for DesignerDial that people could join, and um, what other time to do this other than now, right? Because uh, now is the time people need some support, and uh, designers are our people, and so we should do that uh, for mm-hmm. each other. And so that's that's kind of the uh, I I hope that's kind of the 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 vibe of this now and uh and I think and I think we could we could do good stuff in there.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely looking to either a start a GitHub I mean Gitcoin grant system so we can get some funds to like support members and stuff and also. Look, like, yeah, we have the telegram chat. I do my best to to help any designer that comes in there. I'm definitely always open to talk or take a meeting with any designers who are open to it. And yeah, we're just kind of you know this is what we're here for. So if you find yourself yeah. laid off or if you find you need help or support, feel free to come the telegram chat and we'll do our best to connect you with um, any resources that we have.
1: Yeah, and and also to just um listen to you and to just vibe with you. So, yeah.
0: If that's um, what you de- need, we'll, we'll if I'm, al- uh, I'm always we'll down for there. a design rant, too. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, this is, like, the reason why I started designer down. It I like, I need to be able to rant about the things I see in my industry. <laughs> yep, yep,
1: we all need that, yes.
0: <laughs> all right, cool. Well, until next time, whenever next time is, I... Uh, Actually, in the future, I'm going to be committing to at least doing two podcast episodes a month. Before, I got a little too ambitious and thought I could do four. But with my work and everything, it's a little harder to keep up. So I'll commit to um, an episode every other Wednesday, twice a month, um, if Paulo can also keep that up. <laughs>
1: yes, um, let's try that.
0: And Yeah, in the new year, we'll be more consistent and... If anyone is open to volunteering, uh, with like editing episodes or wanting to be on an episode, feel free to jump in the designer down Telegram chat um, or tweet us at, on Twitter, and I would surely be open to to help or anything like that. Yep. Cool. All right.